What's up, Marvelites? And welcome back to another episode of the MCU Exchange Podcast. And just a trivia, guys. This is our anniversary episode. Yeah. We've been doing this for a year now, and just, wow! Thank you for everyone who's listening over at Spotify, YouTube, Anchor, Google Podcast, Breaker, and Apple Podcasts. And you know what, guys? The MCU is finally back after more than a year of absence. Yay! Yes. Finally. One division is back, and before we talk about that, my name is Aaron. I'll be your host for this episode. Alongside me is Charles. What's up? Happy New Year! Happy New Year, and Joe. Hello, and Happy New Year from me too. Yes, Happy New Year, everyone! It's a great start for the Marvel Cinematic Universe here in this year, 2021, because One Division is finally finally arrives on Disney Plus. Yay! First piece yeah. of MCU content after. Spider-Man Far From Home back in 2019. It was more than a year ago. Crazy. 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 <laughs> yeah, but before we break down the doubleheader premiere of WandaVision, we're gonna talk about a slew of MCU news in the next next 15 minutes or so. Okay, let's now let's go down to the rundown. First up is huge news. Really unexpected news. This news came out of nowhere because Deadline shared in a report that Chris Evans is expected to reprise the role of Captain America in the MCU in some form, quote unquote. You know, de- details about the actor's return are still vague, but the outlet pointed out that Evans will return as Steve Rogers in at least one Marvel property with a door open for a second film. Also, Deadline revealed that it's unlikely to be a new Captain America installment and more likely to be like what Robert Downey Jr. did. After Iron Man 3. Because, you know, as you can remember, Downey appeared in films like Captain America Civil War and Spider-Man Homecoming after Iron Man 3. Yeah. Charles, are you excited? Chris Evans finally back? It's, in MCU and so forth? I, I'm excited to see him return because it's always nice to see Chris Evans in that role. He, he made super popular. He made, a role he made work. So it's nice to sort of see him be at least interested in returning to that role. Obviously, it's going to be dependent on how he returns or even why he returns. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot of people say that, oh, it could be like a secret invasion type of thing where, you know, he he's actually a scroll or maybe one of the one of the scrolls in person, it's Chris Evans as, you know, as, as Captain America. It, it's it's going to depend on that, but right now, I'm excited to see that. But I will say that it may undercut, it, it's going to make or break He's ending with Endgame, um, depending on how they they bring him back. If he's back as Old Man Steve, maybe he's in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Maybe he's there for one last scene. Maybe that's his return, and they just they just finally settled on that. You know, this month to to, to film like last minute reshoots. If that's something, if if it's something like that, like passing on the torch, similar to Endgame, then yeah, it's gonna work for sure. But you know, if if he's back, you know, as Captain America. As a, like, like they find a way to bring him back, he's young again. He's he's hot again. He's he's buff again. That might be weird. So that's where it gets, I guess, um, iffy for me. But just the base idea alone that he's back, it's cool. Also, I can't blame him for wanting more money. <laughs> Joe, how about you? Um, I have a different question because looking mm. ahead in this vicious phase phase four slate of the MCU. Which property, aside from the Falcon of the Winter Soldier, because that totally makes sense, which property do you want to see Evans as Steve Rogers again? Ooh. Like, the bigger question is, where would he fit? 
<laughs> like yeah. everything's going to be so insane. Like the most grounded thing we have at the moment is Black Widow and Falcon the Winter Soldier. So those are like the shows you kind of would connect with him. We know he's voicing characters in the What If series. I really hope we find out that he recorded the zombie growls of the zombie Captain America because that would be hilarious. But, <laughs> but the thing is, is like, where would he fit? Now, if, I, if I'm a, a betting man, from the timing that this is coming out, uh, I could see a what-if scenario in Doctor Strange in the uh, Multiverse of Madness. Um, because a lot of, like, with the, the pa you know, passing of the torch and the passing of major characters like Iron Man and Captain America, we do lose a lot of story potential. And we're seeing them utilize like Iron Man stories with War Machine and Captain America storylines with um, Bucky and, and Sam. So I can kind of imagine like this being a last way to bring in quickly the Hydra Cap idea, the concepts, uh, I think Secret Empire, I think it was called. Um, yeah and have like that storyline as like a short visit because the thing is like we don't know how many places doctor strange visits throughout his travel if the film is two hours long there's not that much options to go through to have like little storylines but what i could see happening and this is like best case scenario we get him uh in multiverse of madness as like the hydra version of captain america and that builds up to a secret war crossover where he has a bigger role and that's why they're like because it's odd that they're only specifying a second film and not, you know, just multiple films. So it feels yeah. like they're going to introduce him in a way that builds up to something. Hydra Cap works as a way that you don't have to explain why he's old and young again because this is just a different version of the character. And they can build on that. Charles, I'm circling back to you. I have one question before we move on yeah. to the next stop. Which is more likely for Chris Evans to return? Secret Invasion or Avengers 5? Oh. <laughs> If, if I mean, holy shit! I mean, if I were Marvel, I would save him for Avengers Five. Uh. Just, you know, save 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 your best actor for your best movie for for your actual team up movie. Let these characters breathe in a world that that isn't sort of defined by Captain America or Iron Man. First, you know, it's in many ways like as we know, Secret Invasion is sort of the big event for Captain Marvel and all the these other things they're setting up. And I guess it's in many ways we know that. Um, some of the Avengers are going to appear in, in Captain Marvel, do I think? Or maybe in just like the Secret Invasion 3 movie arc. It's going to be like this big mini Avengers movie. And I think that's that's the time where you showcase uh, Falcon as Captain America, uh, Carol Danvers as part of like the, the Avengers, all, all these people who, who weren't necessarily the main Avengers. This is their time to shine. So I don't think it's a good idea to shoehorn Chris Evans in... Secret Invasion. I think if you want to bring him back, bring him back for you know the big party. Mm. Have him ha have his have his big welcome return in the big party, and not this thing that's that's that, that's more important to the other characters. Let's move on to another return of a Fox character, because huh, Kevin Feige confirmed in an interview with Collider that Deadpool Three is in development and it will be set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The chief executive revealed that the third installment will be rated R and it will be set in Marvel Cinematic Universe with filming currently not planned this year. He described Ryan Reynolds as a force of nature. And I will read some of his quote here. He said, and I quote, it will be rated R and we are working on a script right now and Ryan's overseeing a script right now. It will not be filming this year. And you know, Ryan is a very busy, very successful actor. We've got a number of things we have announced that we now have to make, but it's exciting for it to have begun. Deadpool. MCU, 
great combination. Joe, what the, uh, um, are you excited with this news? Because it, it's finally happening. Deadpool in the MCU. <laughs> uh, I'm a big Deadpool fan. So I, I'm really excited for this happening. I like, I, I'm a, I, I think Brian Reynolds was a great casting choice, you know, besides the fact that it was referenced in the comics too. And he plays the character and you see that he has, e even however you feel like about Deadpool 1, Deadpool 2, there's a certain passion here from the people involved, especially Ryan Reynolds with the role. And he, and there's so much potential with this character in the MCU. And at the same time, I kind of want to see how Kevin Feige can keep his one universe rule and then introduce a character who literally breaks the fourth wall. Because that feels like a contradiction to what Kevin Feige tries to do with this streamlined one universe expanding. And then, you know, Deadpool just shows up and goes, hey guys, I think I broke the camera. A lot of potential there. Uh, I, I think that Deadpool, they should avoid going too far with him, though. And, and that's kind of the thing. is like that there should be boundaries of what he can and cannot do, depending on where he is. And that's going to be, like, this is for me the big trouble. This is not Deadpool MCU film. This is Deadpool 3 in the MCU. Yes. How does that work? How does it work as a sequel? I still believe um, that a lot of is it is that's like I, I for just a coincidence, the whole time travel gimmick at the end of the last of the last film kind of gave them the perfect explanation of how he lands in whatever land a uh, place he lands. Um, especially because it would it also kind of fits into the storyline being adapted right now with um, you know with Ant Man three having Kang. So time travel, multi dimensions, it all kind of works together. I, if it's a coincidence, holy hell, that worked out. I'm just surprised that Deadpool is getting an MCU focus. I'm surprised we're getting an R-rated Deadpool MCU film. Because that opens up the question, is Blade going to be R-rated as well? Which makes sense for the character. But at the same time, what does that mean for Disney Plus? Because Disney Plus is a PG PG-13 streaming service. And only Europe is getting the star expansion. So this mean we'll see star-exclusive marvel series that are r-rated that are a bit more adult it just it opens up just even if you ignore the fact that it's deadpool it opens up a lot of potential for disney moving forward on streaming on on their approach to the cinematic universe it's going to be interesting i'm, I'm really curious how they're going to handle this yeah and uh ryan reynolds fan favorite it's going to be a win-win for yep. <laughs> charles how about you what do you think is the best option for marvel do they need to wait uh, before Deadpool making an appearance in the in the franchise? They have to wait for Deadpool three before that full blown appearance, or do you think it's smart for them to feature the character in a cameo role in in some films in Phase four or even Phase five? I mean, currently, the, I guess the most obvious one is like the Multiverse of Madness, where you can literally just toss like a cameo, like the Watcher cameo of Stanley in Guardians. You can literally make a five second cameo where he just shows up, and then bam, you. You pretty much have this his whole MCU appearance explained. No one gives a fuck because it's Deadpool. It's fine. It makes sense. You you solved your biggest problem uh, with with Deadpool. And I think I I think that's the way to go. Keep it keep it simple. Don't overthink um, how you're gonna bring him in. Especially you know a character like Deadpool. He's he's very um, he's very fluid and flexible. There's so much you can do with how how he adapts his his his. His, his, I guess, Fox attitude here in, in in the MCU. I'm more, I'm more interested in like how, like assuming Deadpool four happens, 
obviously it's, it's likely going to be rated R. I wonder if any MCU characters that cameo there is going to be given uh, permission to say fuck you or fuck this shit. I am curious how they're going to approach that. How 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 these crossovers are going to merge with Deadpool's irreverent uh-huh. sensibility. Like if Spider-Man shows up in Deadpool 4, is he allowed to make dick jokes? Is is he allowed to say fuck you? Is he allowed to do that? That's what I'm most curious about as far as how Deadpool is going to work in this cinematic universe. <laughs> that there's the reason why Captain America's returning just to tell Deadpool language so he turns PG-13. <laughs> Wouldn't be mad at that at all. Chris Evans Darren Reynolds Deadpool saying fuck you Chris Evans not <laughs> Steve Rogers saying fuck you Chris Evans in the screen <laughs> fourth wall moment <laughs> yeah well exciting times Deadpool and the MCU finally confirmed and can't wait to see it happen down the line next up on the list we have a uh, let's, go, let's go over to the Disney plus side of things before we move on to WandaVision because we have a big Moon Knight news just yesterday. According to the Hollywood reporter, Ethan Hawke has been cast as a lead villain. Lead villain. Mark Spector in the Marvel Studios Moon Knight Disney Plus series. No details have been shared regarding the specific character Hawke will portray at the moment. Charles Ethan Hawke, big time actor in a Disney Plus series. <laughs> Moon Knight. You see a strong connection there. Are you excited about this addition? I'm excited because Ethan Hawke is finally in, a, in something that I that I, that I passionately like, which is uh, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm a huge Ethan Hawke fan. He's been it's so crazy. He's one of those actors who's like um, who's been around for so long. He's he's like a '90s heartthrob icon. He's kind of like Leonardo DiCaprio in many ways because they're from that same batch of actors who who grew up in, in like sort of in heartthrob movies, but then moved on to more serious stuff. And you know he's been around. He's been, he's he's always in good movies. He's he's always consistently in, in such great works. So the fact that he's finally you know dipping his toes in in, in, in the superhero stuff it's super exciting. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people sort of guess on who he's gonna play. Obviously the obvious one is a uh, is a uh, Bushman who is um, Moon Knight's nemesis. But I'm also seeing people say that you know he could be someone like Dracula, which I totally dig. I'm game for. Ethan Hawke as a vampire because that, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also, I saw I saw theories on Twitter that he's Jack Jack Russell, werewolf. Ooh. Oh yeah. yeah I could see that. Yeah. 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 You can cross over to the movies. That's what they're saying. <laughs> yeah. Because there's a chance that he's the lead villain. He might die at the tail end of the, of the season, and he's not going to be featured in the movies again. Who that's knows? true. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, how about you? Are you excited about Ethan Hawke's casting? In uh, yeah, I'm, I'm quite excited. Uh, like my, my history with Ethan Hawke is um, I ironically saw him in the film Before Sunrise and generally his The Before Trilogy, which is fantastic. And they filmed that in Vienna. So, you know, I live in that city. So that's kind of a, a cool thing of knowing that actor of being around here and filming something here. And I think he, like I agree with Charles, he's, he's kind of been a name that's always around that managed to do, you know, what's unlike Hollywood. It's like, he's never like the big star that just burns out fast. He's just always there. And this is a huge role for him. And I like the idea of him being werewolf by night. Uh, 
I mean, it, the thing is, like, with, if Jack Russell is the villain, like, the, the, the thing is, we don't know how crazy Moon Knight is going to be. Just the fact that Moon Knight is going to have the werewolf and, like, most people think about the whole, you know, split personality aspect. Like, how crazy is that series going to end up being? I do wonder, though, um, if, like, for example, they're introducing these supernatural characters with Blade, with Werewolf by Night. Are they going a route towards the Howling Commandos? Like, not the one from the World War II, but the ones that consisted of, like, different supernatural creatures and, and beings. Which I think would be kind of a cool idea. Uh, I, I, it kind of, for me, like, the excitement is if that's the fact. We could get Elsa Bloodstone down the line, which I think is a fantastic character to introduce. Um, and just the fact that, like, Moon Knight has Oscar Isaac. It has Ethan Hawke in it, which are two actually well-big-named actors and I, I love the fact that the directors all seem to have a background. Like the one of the main directors is from Egypt. Uh, they're really going out with these shows. And I think that at this point, anything is possible. Any actor is possible. And there's no rule to, you know, what we understand of what streaming or television is, what an actor will or will not do. And getting Ethan Hawke, I think, is one of those big steps towards big movie stars showing up in more Disney streaming stuff. And we're seeing that trend with Apple Plus as well and Netflix. So a lot's happening, and it's it's really fascinating. Yeah, and if if he is playing Dracula, he could directly be the villain of Marshala Ali's Blade in the yeah. movies. Yeah. And they seem to be building up a lot and, and, like, a lot more connections between shows. Like, whatever, you know... We'll talk about later, like whatever WandaVision is setting up for a film as well. So it's, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. And uh, all star cast already for Moon Knight, guys. <laughs> it's going to be crazy. <laughs> and next up, let's go to another, another Disney Plus property here. We move to She Hulk here because <laughs> uh, She Hulk directors. Kat Coiro and Anivalia confirmed the, min- the minimum episode count of the series because they, uh, he, she said that she's directing the pilot finale plus four other episodes, so that's like six already, <laughs> and it's like they're producing. And um, so She-Hulk will have at least uh, eight installments, eight episodes, because Coyer's directing six episodes, but Valia's directing at least two episodes. Eight. I think it's it's not yet final because do, do you think that one division will at least be nine episodes? I I mean, she hope will at least be nine nine episodes similar to one division. Oh, I'm just saying, like Kevin Feige said in the in the one division junket, yeah, it's, it's they're looking at nine or ten for if it's a comedy thirty minute show like She Hulk or like one division, they're looking at nine or ten. So it's pretty it's pretty you know it's it's a clear idea on how they want to approach these kinds of shows that have um, interesting subject matter. It's mm. not like, you know, the problem with the Netflix shows is that no matter what the 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 property was, it had to be 13. Obviously, yeah. that resulted in, like, such shitty pacing. Um, very, very... It, it, it really had bad momentum. There were episodes that were, like, super slow, super dull. And it was it was the fact that, you know, they were forced to come up with 13 hours worth of story when the sto- when the when the actual script called for like maybe eight episodes, but yeah. here it's nice to see Kevin Feige sort of, you know, ask what is what is only needed for for each property. One, uh, um, um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier needs six. Moon Knight needs six. One Division needs nine. Um, She-Hulk maybe needs nine or ten. It's such a good way to approach, um, 
uh, making these shows. Yeah. And it's a good thing. They have the freedom to uh, set the number of episodes. Unlike Netflix, they have, they, have, they have a format or a rule that they're going to follow. Yes. Yeah. Plus, it's, you know, it's up to you guys because we trust your storytelling. We trust your narrative. Go tell it the way you do because it's not going to be set at 6. not going to be set at 7. It's not going to be set at 8. Like WandaVision, it has 9. But uh, Paul Bettany teasing that the, the three final episodes will be like the MCU spectacle that we've all been expecting. So... <laughs> Really experimenting on that format, and it's a, it's good that it's ever changing. Trying to find the quote where Kevin Feige said that, I can't find it. So, <laughs> I think it's hold on. I think it's in Collider. Oh, here it's in Collider. Yeah, it's yeah. in Collider. Yeah, it's in Collider. He basically said, "Let me see." Um, here he said, "We're looking at it a little differently. We're developing it as either six-hour episodes or nine or ten half-hour episodes. So it's kind of kind of the same what a." Kat Corder was saying that she's, she's directing a few, and you know it, it's it's all gonna work out. Hopefully, it all ends up being good. Yeah. Before we move on, I have a question for Joe because you're an expert mm-hmm. at this, I think. Uh-oh. But <laughs> it, I mean, you think that the strategy of Marvel, like not just Marvel, of Disney as a whole, that they're releasing episode weekly every uh-huh. week, you think it's working? Because, or do you prefer that they drop it like Netflix series, like all of it at once? What do you think is the best option for them? Um, I mean, I, I, I wrote it. Yeah, I, I wrote an article about that not too long ago. About the this, like the thing is, is that the the binge watching that we're used to from Netflix was pretty much a. So if you look at trends in general, as we kind of recycle trends to a certain degree, so we went from standard television to binging uh, as, a, as a reaction to say, I am flexible, I can decide when to watch something. But the thing is, is that over-consumation of TV shows, especially Netflix's market, has led to a certain degree of a burnout in a way. That's why like now you see a lot of streaming services, Hulu kind of pioneered this, is that like Netflix is also offering a television channel, like a channel that just runs shows so you don't have to choose what you want to watch. And we're seeing a, a counterpoint back towards the relevancy of, of weekly schedules. And the thing is, and why I think this is, like the, the funny thing is, is that Disney Plus is not the, the, the inventor of this concept. It is Hulu. Hulu pioneered, we're making wake Runaways was a weekly release back in the day. And they had like, and they did what the boys did, three episodes first, uh, first week and then every week another episode. And Disney Plus, for some reason, became the focal century point of it because what the difference is, is that let's talk about, you know, Hulu, the biggest show on Hulu was The Handmaid's Tale. That was like their defining show as a streaming platform. The Runaways was a big, a big streamer, but it wasn't like a big character that people were looking forward to. There's no hype around The Runaways besides the actual, you know, target audience or fans of that show. It was a young audience show. The thing that makes Disney Plus and their weekly schedule so interesting is that Marvel and Star Wars, as they are now, is a a very wide spectrum of target audiences that they can uh, pretty much reach. And you see how that has affected the discussion around films. There's a reason why Amazon said, this is working, The Boys Season 2 is going to be a weekly release. Even with the controversy, it was still one of the most viewed shows because you're building up momentum 
for for twists. You're built like everything now feels more relevant because you're not just watching through it. Like I noticed myself by the time we got to, I'll say, Jessica Jones season two. Besides Daredevil, which I think is one, still one of the stronger shows of the Netflix shows, definitely. It was hard to go through the shows because you kind of burn out on them by episode 10. And then yeah. once you kind of take a break from, from binge watching, it's really hard to get back into it. While a weekly release, you kind of watch the episode and you're like, oh, I really want to see more. But you kind of die out. And by the time you're getting back to, oh, the episode's releasing tomorrow, that hype level goes back. So the discussion... Is, is coming back. And we're seeing that with WandaVision's approach, especially where they're embracing, um, I, don't, I don't want to say like, they're embracing lost culture in a way, the, how lost builds up its hype. And, and I always say like, I think weekly releases is going to redefine the streaming markets. Though I will say Netflix will stick by show to show basis to their binge shows, like animation, um, uh, you have uh, reality TV, that kind of stuff you can binge watch because a lot like they're shorter, they're very easy to consume. Pop culture with Easter eggs galore with this, the discussion around it is much more complex and difficult that the weekly release helps people like the make the Easter egg videos. Now imagine you have to do an Easter egg article or video for 13 episodes and everyone already by the time you hit episode 10, get that stuff out. The hype is just gone because people already binged it in the first weekend. So it changes a lot and, and helps them kind of also spread out the content so you don't saturate the market too fast. And now I went on a really long tangent, sorry. <laughs> and I think the, the main difference here because is Disney Plus only had a limited amount of originals. Uh, unlike Netflix, there's a lot of content. They have a lot of content. Like They have new movies every week. They have this, this new trailer when they release it. That every new movie every week and then different shows like every other week it's crazy and whatever it is people are gonna watch it people are gonna consume it they're just they're just gonna choose yeah. how are they going to watch it let's now move on to another disney plus show this is going to premiere in may it's loki because in the report from deadline about michael waldron the writer of loki working on kevin feige's star wars movie the outlet mentioned that Waldron would be involved in a second season of Marvel Studios' Loki Disney Plus series in some capacity. It somewhat confirms that Loki has a season two. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charles, I know that Charles Murphy reported this a year ago. that he's, He mentioned that it's 100% certain that the second season of Loki would happen. And now it's, it's reported by a big trade. Um, do you think that this somehow spoils... The season one of Loki, or do you think it's 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 okay to be confirmed right at this point? Because there are, there are many story possibilities now. Yeah, it's gonna depend on where they want to take the season two of Loki. Like every, when we, when Charles Murphy reported this last year, it was weird because we haven't seen any of the Disney Plus shows. Marvel doesn't know how successful the Disney Plus shows are gonna be, but you know from the get go they had they immediately had plans for the next season. I guess in many ways that shows how confident they are in. And what they're doing, and certainly the trailer, when we saw that mm. from the Disney Investors Day meeting, it looks super fucking sick. So, mm-hmm. so I guess they maybe have, maybe it's like a convincing argument that yeah, season two is definitely something that you need to all see. Obviously, it's gonna depend on what the gimmick is gonna be because right now the gimmick is gonna be 
this is Endgame Loki. He's he's uh, time traveling and jumping all to different types of realities, and that's that. I don't know how yeah. interesting that would be if it's exactly the same premise for season two. Like it's season two is just him like jumping jumping around through time again, messing 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 people up people's lives up. It's gonna be just like a rehash of the season one. So it's gonna be interesting to see how they do it. As far as we know, none of the other um, shows have season two. I don't think there's gonna be one division season two. I don't think there's gonna be Falcon and the Winter Winter Soldier mm-hmm. season two. So it's it, it it is interesting that Loki gets gets the season two out of all properties. Yeah, because there's yeah. that there's a lot of storytelling possibilities. And um, Joe, I have a question before we move on to one division. Last mm-hmm. question: Do you think that before we get Loki season two, do you think that he will appear in at least one feature film, maybe Thor: Love and Thunder or Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness? That's a that's a good question. <laughs> uh i think we will see him definitely uh so the thing is is that like the advantage that let's say uh marvel has over star wars with with the seasonal aspect is that star wars is more dependent because they don't have that many shows as of now but we're already seeing a trend of them saying okay we're we did two seasons of mandalorian now we're taking a short break with boba fett and then we're coming back with mandalorian and that's kind of like the overall strategy that I believe that Marvel's going for. Is like if they say Loki's going to have a season two, that does not mean we're getting season two next year. That does not mean we're getting it in two years. That means when the time is right and the story concept they have, that is when the season will air. And it gives them way more flexibility um, to work with these seasonal aspects and make them connect in interesting ways. The only challenge I see is that, you know, the more seasons they add on, the more complex it becomes. Because if someone, you know, going back to the binge watching, if I sit down and I say, I just want to watch Loki, season one and season two are not really connected besides the main players. Let's say the TVA is certainly going to stay. That's where it can kind of get a little confusing. But, like, they can rename it. They can just call it a different show. It's season two Loki, but it's just called TVA. They're not restricted like NCIS is or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was. They don't make a season two and have to directly follow up in some way. They can make a season. They can rename it if they want to. All the flexibility is in their hands. And we will see how they'll handle it in the future. But it certainly seems like they're not restricted in any way. Or they can can name it Loki, the Book of Can. (laughs) The Book of Can. (laughs) Work. Yeah. <laughs> but like that, because you know, many potential, many spin-offs from that can sprung off from Loki. It's crazy. And now the book of Owen on. Wilson. Oh wow. Oh wow. Oh yeah, the book of wow. <laughs> the book of wow. 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 Are you are you saying that's true? Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Let's now move on to actual MCU content. We're going to talk about actual MCU content after a year. It's crazy. WandaVision kicks off the ambitious phase for slate of the MCU. Because 2021 is poised to become a banner year for the Marvel Studios. A lot of shows right now. Starts with WandaVision. Guys, every week, there's there's new MCU content. Crazy. Starting this week. Or last week. It's Legends. Finally. And now, we find ourselves in Westview. 
Yes. Yes. After serving as side characters in Avengers films, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany returns as Wanda in Vision. In one division. I'm surprised about is that uh, the WandaVision didn't waste time in establishing that this is a sitcom because it's, it's, it has no, no explanation. It went straight to a sitcom approach, sit, sitcom mm. uh, strategy. It's wow, it's like it's, uh, it's hard to break it down because there's a lot. It's gonna yes. Favorite moments, favorite moment type. Gonna talk about our favorite moments for for the listeners. What we're gonna do is we're gonna um, talk about our favorite moments and then you know our areas of opportunities or the negatives in the show. I'm gonna speculate what happens in the ending of episode two or the rest. There's a lot of Easter eggs. We're gonna break it down. We're gonna be finished by tomorrow if because there's a lot of Easter eggs in this uh, in those doubleheader premiere. Let's move on. First, I'm gonna I'm gonna start. My f- favorite moment is the opening sequence, the opening theme. Whenever an episode starts, because in episode one they have a theme song. It's so cool, the fifties inspired, bewitch, bewitch inspired uh, uh, theme song for both episode one and two. I think that's my favorite. It's, it's the one. It's refreshing. It's unique. It's one of a kind. It's never been done before. It's a bold risk. And Kevin Feige, you nailed it again, Charles. Favorite moments from the episode? Oh, it's so hard because, like you said, the the first two episodes are so packed with so many things to dissect. From mm, the yes. Easter eggs, from the commercials they put in, it's mm. super, super layered. But I guess my favorite part of the episode is just seeing how they managed to make the 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 premise work. I don't have like a particular number one favorite moment. Um, but just how everything comes together, how it's kind of actually funny is the first episode where, where you know, Wanda's trying to sit make dinner and Vision's trying to distract, distract his boss through playing guitar. That was just so fucking... Like, can you imagine? Like, three years ago, they were fighting Thanos. Now Wanda's trying to make dinner and, you know, Vision's trying to sing a song. He's trying to... He, he's singing Old MacDonald. It, it's, so, it's so crazy how far they've taken these characters. And they actually make it work. Episode two with with, with, uh, with the photography, the talent show. It was super, super, super fun to watch them see sort of flub. You know the magic tricks they were preparing for. Vision was drunk. I like how they they depicted like that the bubble gum thing through like cartoons in his in his in his chest. That was such a great touch. There's just so much to take in here. But I guess my general I my general favorite thing here. For both of the episodes, was just how how surprising it was and how they managed to make it work. Yeah, and the, you know the the best part about it is the back and forth between Olsen and Bethany. They're like they're, they're like experts in sitcoms now. The character moments. This is what makes one division fun. Uh, the the lead stars, you know, because they have chemistry. They've been working for a while now, and. And you you put it in an unusual format, but they managed to make it work. You know, that's that's a great thing about it. Joe, how about you? What's your favorite moment or moments? Uh, there's so much to choose from. I, I think for me is the first time the show cracked. So the the stop it moment probably sticks in my mind the most because it's 
the whole concept and i i kind of adore like all of us kind of thought okay it's going to be an action show with those elements from the old uh sitcom shows but in reality it's the other way around it's a sitcom show first and foremost with mystery sprinkled throughout where like that lost effect i talked about came uh comes in and the moment like she the jo deborah joe roop who is always an amazing enjoy to watch starts going stop it stop it it's just yeah. echoes in my mind and it made me go i have to rewatch these episodes multiple times as the show continues to go on because i think there's so much we're missing by not knowing the full context yet and uh it's part of it because it's 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 a sitcom it's comedy but deep within <laughs> it's scary because you know you know that something's not right like something is yeah. not Everything's not what it seems because it's uh, this is really an alternate reality, and I can't wait on how I'm going to explain it because let's now move on to uh, before we move on to the ending. That's what, that's going to be our favorite part. What do you think is the area of opportunities that uh, One Division lacks? Because you know, for us Marvel fans, for us who's keeping tabs with MCU for a while now, we appreciate these moments. We appreciate this risk. But for a casual fan, a casual fan who just managed to, okay, it's Marvel, let, let me watch it. Some, 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 uh, I saw on Twitter that some are bored because, oh, what's this? It's new. Of course, of course, you can get bored. It's the first episode. Come on. It's, it's like it's a, it's a buildup. <laughs> because it's, it, they're, uh, they're not like invested enough to watch that. Charles, how about you? Do you think that uh, having it as a sitcom is, Disadvantages to those fans who are not really invested with the characters, stuff like that. Or... I think there's there's a, there's a pro and con to it being the way it is. The pro no. is because it's a sitcom. Want to envision kind of do their own silly adventures in each episode, like the dinner party from episode one does not carry on to episode two. Episode two is them doing the magic, so it's completely different. You can sort of enjoy these things in in their own episode and i've seen the third episode i can't talk about it that much but th episode three is going to be it's, it's kind of like the same way you can watch it on its own it's they're facing their own problems they have their own adventure in episode three and i guess that's the advantage of it being a sitcom they, they can they can have fun and not worry about the larger word world building that being said i think there, there's a bit of an, an, an inaccessibility to one division like i don't think a fan who hasn't seen any of the movies is gonna fully appreciate what exactly is going on with one division. They might enjoy the um the silly the, the silliness of it all, it being in the fifties, in the sixties, in the seventies, eighties, and nineties. That might be something that would, I guess, attract them. But as far as you know, the commercials, the Stark Toaster, the the Strucker Watch, that's something they're not gonna understand. They're also not gonna understand why is there a beekeeper coming out of the sewer why is there a helicopter a colored he helicopter in Wanda's you know garden that's something they're not going to understand it's not some it's, it's something they they won't exactly grasp and that might be detrimental to what Wanda Vision is doing i remember Kevin Feige saying that yeah Wanda Vision you can watch it without watching Endgame it's not really the case you're not going to you're only going to pick up so little things and the needle drops that happen in the end, like when we see, you know, at the end of episode one, when we see that 
you know, oh shit, they're actually being watched. The one division show is actually being watched by Sword in the in the in the I guess credit scene in in episode one. I don't think non fans are gonna pick up on that. They're gonna be like, mm. oh, what is that? What does that mean? Oh, what does the beekeeper mean? What does how how can Wanda why does she why, why does it seem like she can rewind the episode as much as she wants? That's something that's gonna go over their heads and sort of take them out of the experience. But you know, I guess that's sort of sort of expected because we're so knee deep into the cinematic universe, and the deeper and deeper we get with this show and with other properties, multiverse of madness and whatnot, the more inaccessible it's gonna be and fortunately the mc has amassed an audience that you know kind of understands everything so they don't have to worry about you know audiences dropping off because they can't understand shit but as far as gaining new fans midway you know it's gonna be hard so fans have a lot to catch up to if they wanna even grasp the depth of one division yeah and for casual fans you know what's funny they don't even know that it's sword <laughs> because it's yeah. not yet revealed. Only us know because we've been covering for covering it for quite some time now. <laughs> the, the main difference is here is Mandalorian. I mean, story. Um, I'm not really a fan of the Mandalorian ever since it when it started back in 2019 because it's confusing. Like, okay, there's Baby Yoda. That's what hooked fans because of Baby Yoda. So I think some fans are finding a Baby Yoda type plot. Point or uh, Easter egg that can hook them, it's not going to happen here because it's the MCU because it's already an established connection of stories. And you know the one the one good thing about Marvel Studios that I always commend them because in the movies they explain it so well even to a casual fan because they only have two hours to do it. But here, I think they're taking time to explain everything. Because that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of mystery. And you have Wanda as the lead character, which is banking on mysteries. You, 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 it's, it, it works for us fans, not for casual fans. <laughs> so, I'm, uh, I'm going to be devil's advocate here. Uh, I do not agree on that. I actually think that the show's approach can work extremely well for new fans. But mm-hmm. it... I, what So... What I do agree on, and I think that's a big uh, conjecture with the existence of WandaVision, is we haven't had content from Marvel in over a year. And originally, WandaVision was going to be capped off with Black Widow, Cap- Cap- uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and Eternal. So, like, three properties were going to air before WandaVision ever was on Disney+. Plus. Two of them probably closer to what we expect from a Marvel property. Action, comedy. Now the thing is, is that if you throw in WandaVision after something we're familiar with, it feels fresh and new, and it has a much stronger standing. Now though, we haven't had content since Spider-Man Far From Home in July 2019. Wow. And we're welcomed by a show that is nothing we recognize as fans. It is a sitcom, and it's a slow burn. This isn't, you know, Netflix had pacing issues because it had 13 episodes, and it dragged it out over 40 to forty minutes to 50 minutes. This is a slow burn because they just, the first episode does not give you a real tease of what's happening. All it does is tell you something's off. Yeah. And the second episode is really saying 
something is really off. But it's not like Daredevil, where the first episode ends with, oh no, uh, this and this happened, and what does this mean for my future? It just ends with, the, the fuck was that? What the fuck was that? <laughs> and the reason I believe it works for casual audiences, and this may sound, and I don't know why this reference is coming full circle now, that is why I think Lost was successful. Lost made no goddamn sense <laughs> for a long time. And the thing is, people just came to accept that there was a dark mystic cloud on an island randomly killing people. And we're worried about people being a little confused about something going off in a sitcom show. And I think, I think the mystery that they're setting up is really interesting for new audiences that, you know, like I watching WandaVision, I personally felt like if I haven't watched Endgame, I wouldn't know Vision is dead. I would, I would just think that this is a sitcom with two supernatural people. And the mystery at the end, or, you know, a robot and a witch. And the mystery at the end goes, there's more to this story. That, like, the distinctive way the camera pans out was, for me, a reminder of Lost with um, the reveal of the bunker. That's how it kind of felt like. And the thing is, is that the mystery that's set up here, if they do it right, can really get people hooked. And I think, to some degree... We're only left in morbid curiosity. And if the next episode, which I think is going to be like a, a, a changing point, I haven't seen it. But I think that's going to be a, a changing point where we go in. Unlike Mandalorian, which pretty much ended its first episode with the big selling point. And a lot of people complained at the time, and even in season two, that the show didn't really have a, you know, it was just goes to planet to planet, does this, does that. And it felt like a little aimless until the end. WandaVision is like the counterpoint to that, where it's like there's a where it feels aimless, but there's actually a through line going through, and it's not until the reveals at the end or in the future that really bring it together. What we as fans get, or our trouble in our position, is we kind of have a knowledge of we knew before the show aired something was wrong. Yeah, we knew that there was something going on. And as fans of Endgame, we knew Vision is dead. Now, if someone's new and they watch this, like, oh, this is a really cute tribute to, like, the Dick Van Dyke show, and then watch that ending, you're going like, the fuck was that? Wait, 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 wait. Oh, there's a second episode? We have to see what is that. And the second episode does more of it. And I think each episode will do more and more as it breaks that reality more frequently as the show goes on. And that's kind of how it does the same effect that Lost did, where just... Every episode started getting crazier and crazier. The advantage is they are, they're doing it in nine episodes while lost it in 22 over six seasons. Ooh. And of course, at one point, they couldn't solve every problem they created. While this show feels more condensed, but at the same time has a unique, a bit, a unique standing. And that's why I think that casual audiences can't really get into the show without have, having ever seen Avengers Endgame. But where I do agree with you guys is it's not going to sell new people to Disney Plus, for example. It's not going to sell people in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But I think it can work as its own thing in that regard. I'll also, I also say that because I guess as, as an audience, we've grown from, you know, we're, we're certainly not, like if we, if we time travel to the 50s and watch the Dick Bindyke show or whatnot with our modern sensibility, it's not going to be as effective as, as yeah. it is to people from that era. 
So I think part yeah. of people getting bored with, oh, it's kind of boring, there's nothing happening. To me, it's not because I appreciate what's happening on screen. I appreciate seeing the 50s. Oh, this is how it was. This is how the comedy was before. This is what the um, social sensibility was in the 50s. I'm fascinated with that. But to people who aren't sort of accustomed to to seeing, watching black and white, old school, vintage stuff, this might be like, oh, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's, it's not my taste because I'm not from that era. That I think that's that's a big part of um, some people saying it's boring and whatnot. It certainly isn't. But for someone, for for people whose tastes aren't, I guess as, I mean, I don't. It's gonna sound super snobby, but for people whose tastes aren't just as refined as ours, as where we, you know, we watch so much stuff, we watch movies of all kinds and whatnot, no matter where it's from. Yeah. Obviously, we have a bigger appreciation for stuff like this, and I think a portion of the general audience who want to tune into whatever the next Marvel offering is, they're kind of like, holy shit, what is this? It's there's nothing. Like the end is just like a silly twist, and episode two's twist is kind of like, okay, but I'm not getting the full Marvel experience. And I think this is one of those shows where I 100% guarantee this once it's complete, once we see all nine episodes, the first six episodes are going to be completely different when you watch it again. It's yeah. going to be like, holy shit, that's why the stop it happened. Stop it, stop it, stop it. That's why that was sort of happening. That's why um, Agnes made that sort of joke about the devils in the details. That's why, oh my God, now these first six episodes are one of the most amazing stuff I've ever seen. Right now, it's kind of like, let's see where this happens. But for sure, this is one of those shows where, you know, once it's over, every episode's going to feel completely different when you watch it again. Definitely. Let's get back to this after two months. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Spans after two months, and then oh, told you so. It's gonna be good <laughs> because they need these reveals. They need this Easter eggs this, because it's going to build up to something bigger at March. In March, right? It's gonna be crazy. Mm-hmm. Let's now move on to uh, before we move on to the ending. Let's go. Let's talk about the commercials, guys. Yeah. I was surprised that it has commercials within the episode. And I think that, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that's the representation of of Wanda's trauma in the past. Yeah. yeah, because um, I don't know personally who the two who uh, the two persons are in that commercial. Some are saying that it's Wanda's parents, but I doubt yeah. that. <laughs> uh, Charles, what do you think about those commercials? Do you think that it works? And what is your what are your theories about that? Struggle? Yeah, I mean, it, it's absolutely those, amazing. I didn't actually think think much of them until you know everyone started theorizing. Holy shit, the Stark thing. Yeah, that might be a representation of the bomb because, yeah, the toaster kind of goes off in a delayed manner, and it was weird that it lingered a bit. And you know, I remember in Age of Ultron, that that's what happened to Pietro and Wanda. A Stark bomb hit their house, and the worst thing about it was that it didn't even explode right away. They had to wait and sort of wonder if they were gonna die at any moment. No. And that's sort of that's emblematic of the the toaster commercial with um with uh in, in the episode one and obviously in episode two you got Strucker who is responsible for giving their powers and yeah I'm pretty much convinced that yeah these commercials are rep- representative of of um of the one of the trauma I I I'm sort of I'm I'm sort of interested in the theory that they're actually her parents in the in the commercial because it's always them it's always the same people 
so it's interesting that people are sort of connecting that to to them possibly being their parents. I'm sure we're gonna find out in the in the in the next episodes, but it's such a great layer to an already complex shows. Yeah. Toast me Toastmaster two thousand. I saw in Twitter Toastmaster two thousand might be the MCU's darkest dude. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, how about you? What is your take on the commercials in One Division? Uh, as an advertising guy, uh, I had to explore history's advertisements, and they're really spot on with how cheesy and kind of terrible they are. But it, you know, that's that was the sentiment back in the day. It's like alone the watch reference. It's like a man is nothing well his woman by his side in the watch. It's like you know that, that sadly was the sentiment back in the day when it came to advertising and selling these products. And the thing is, is that what I love about it is I was also, you know, I'm full on that first reference is the bomb. And th- this is a crazy theory I've been having. Like, I like the theory that these are their parents, but it doesn't make sense if it's the parents, if they're still around when Strucker is mentioned. Yeah. I think, and, and this is just the theory. I think that the next, like the next episode ad could be either a reference to Ultron or Avengers. Mm-hmm. And that by episode four or five, when the Avengers were met as an ad, the man is going to disappear. It's only going to be the woman. Mm. And the reason is, I think it represents Wanda and Pietro. Interesting. Because the thing is, it's like, that's the only reason why they would be around for both. They watch the bomb, the awkward silence of like listening to the the uh, countdown, pretty much, and then why like he put on the watch. Like the why would the parents be involved with Strucker in that way if it's a visual representation of something? That's just yeah. my theory on it. <laughs> There's a lot of theories. I've been reading a lot lately. It's yeah, I mean. Commercials, it's going to, it's, well, one thing's for sure, guys, the commercial's going to evolve in the next few weeks. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think we're going to have at least, because it's been confirmed, there's six episodes of sitcoms, so six commercials, and then let's see, let's see where it goes. And please, and, please and, let James Spader show up as Vision's father. I just want it so bad. <laughs> since they're having kids, because Wanda's pregnant in the last episode, episode two. <laughs> and uh, I think, oh, Ultron is a grandfather? Hmm, nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, let's now move on to the ending. Uh, I'm going to break it down per episode, guys. So that let's go first to episode one. Because after that uh, blissful married life, like uh, having ring and stuff like that, the camera is slowly going out. And then they're in a TV. <laughs> oh, my God. And then... A sword agent. For those of you who don't know, it's sword. It's a uh, uh, the uh, the space branch of shield. Am I correct? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's sword, and they're trying to monitor uh, the the West View, the alternate the altered reality of West View. And I think that's Darcy who's controlling that the the remote or something. I, I think that's, that's the most possible theory. Um, theories, guys. Theories. My, uh, I'll, I'll go first. My theory is that Sword is aware. Of course, Sword is aware. And then um, they're sending 
some of the residents, some of the neighbors of one the envision in that uh, Westview is are sword agents because we've seen Monica Rambo there. Some of mm. them are some of them are just normal residents. Some of them are sword agents, and then they're trying to monitor. I can see the screen here. Um, the directors, the, I mean the cast, the, the crew that's in the credits, I think are the agents that are assigned in that particular mission. That's my theory, and I think that's about it. <laughs> They're just trying to be sword. Sword is uh, monitoring this altered reality that Wanda somehow created or, some, or something controlled Wanda, I don't know. Charles, how about you? It's really crazy. My head hurts. <laughs> Um, it's weird because I've seen the third episode, and the third episode actually sort of unveils what, not only really fully unveils, but it sort of gives you a better idea on what exactly is going on. But from the last, from the from the ending of episode two, I'm seeing a lot of people say that the helicopter that Wanda sees in her garden is the, because early, earlier in that episode, they hear a crash. They hear no. something crashing. And I, I saw someone say, I forgot who it was, but... Someone brought up that what if that's Monica Rambeau sort of crash landing? Yeah, that was me. <laughs> that, you, that was you. Okay, that was you. What if that's Monica Rambeau saying uh, crash landing sort of in the world? Because prior to that, she doesn't exist in in Westview. What if that's sort of her entrance and she doesn't even know that she crashed? What if her, her helicopter crashed in whatever site um, sword is in? So, so, I, you you brought that up. So that's something I'm uh, I'm also super considering with how. With what exactly is going on, but without spoiling too much, um, yeah, sword is definitely onto something while they're monitoring this um, this uh, crazy sitcom life of Wanda. Mm. Yeah, and, and and we're going to episode two now. In Randall Park's Jimmy Woo, I think, uh, he's the one who's uh, he's in the radio, like who's, who's, who's yeah. doing this. Wanda Wanda. I think that's him. That's him, right? I, I think so as well. The voice is familiar, and um, the thing is, the helicopter and the blood are colored, you know. And my theory is that maybe if I haven't seen the third episode, so <laughs> one and two, maybe, <laughs> maybe Wanda, whenever Wanda is like trying, when is confronted by, we've seen it in episode one. When it's, uh, answer the question, answer the question. In, in the, in the Second episode, uh, Dottie is like trying to ask her. Uh, I know, I, I know, I know something about you and your husband. And then she she panics, and then that reality is like crumbling slowly, right? Because whenever someone questions Wanda in that reality, like she is, the reality itself is slowly breaking. That's my theory. Joe, how about you? I think it's the thing is we still don't know quite how what the causes for this connection is why she's in control and not in control to some degree. My my kind of belief at the moment is that WandaVision has she's created this dimension or whatever it is because it does go back to her time in Sokovia. But we like the thing is is that with him all being sword agents, why is the beekeeper somehow a little he seems independent from the rest. And that's kind of where I start wondering how exactly it all fits together. It's, it's, it's really hard because 
this is what I really love about the show, and I find it sad that people are kind of writing it off based alone on the sitcom concept, is that, that as soon as you start thinking about it, there's so many pieces of a puzzle here that are so uncertain but well-placed out. Because alone, the, the dialogue between, uh, in the first episode, where uh, the Mr. Hart goes, why are you here? Where did you come from? Like, at first, you're like, it's a joke because he wants to know as the boss. But th now that I thought about it, maybe it's the real person asking that question. And I think a lot of them, like Dottie or such, are actual citizens of this town mixed in with sword agents who are all kind of like breaking through at random moments that she's turning their dialogue into comedy sketches and controlling it to some degree. But the question is, you know, how does Agnes, or if she really is Agatha uh, Harkness, how does it all come together? And it, there's just so many questions. Yeah. And I really want to watch the next episode. And this is the only time where I'll say the weekly release sucks. <laughs> I forgot the beekeeper, actually. <laughs> when I was See, there's a lot of there's a lot of mysteries already. Uh, mm. the beekeeper, I agree, it's like an in independent entity. I think the sword symbol in his back is like uh it's a red herring. Yeah, I, I don't think he's a sword agent. I think he's something else. Someone else. Hmm. Or something else. Creepy. <laughs> <laughs> he's he just stole it. Like I so like the thing for me is is the big question is we see a lot of hexagon symbols as well. Every episode ends on a hexagon. Yeah. And besides the obvious, you know, it's a hex kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Why is there a beekeeper and a hexagon in this show? Like, if it was just the beekeeper, you can write it off. But the hexagon makes me go, well, is AIM potentially involved? Because there were rumors that AIM is, in fact, in Black Widow to some degree. Mm. And it's like, what if, like, AIM is working together with someone and, like, they caused it or they're helping her control it. And AIM is, like, faking to be a good company now. Because, you know, it kind of disappeared after Iron Man 3. There's so many potential angles you can take with this based on visuals, uh, dialogue, and anything. And also, uh, Catherine Hans Agnes has, ha, have been, has been mentioning Ralph all throughout the two episodes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who that is. <laughs> right? It's, her non who that is? It's, like, it's like her non existent husband. Yeah. It's like the Fraser joke where we never meet his wife or yeah, girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and. And some are saying that it's Mephisto. Some are saying it's the Grim Reaper because we have a Grim Reaper Easter egg there in the animated opening sequence from episode two. Yeah. There's a lot to break down. And we don't know who exactly the main villain is yet. Some are saying it's Nightmare. Some are saying it's Mephisto. It's, it's going to be crazy. Some are saying it's the Beekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> the main villain is the Beekeeper. Come on. Man. What do you think is Sword's role here? I mean, Swords um, involvement. Do you think they're helping? Hmm. I think they're helping Wanda, right? But yeah, I mean, if you've seen the trailer, the shot where sort of Monica gets you know pushed out of that whatever thing that that, that barrier. Yeah. And you know, sword sword is there to like save her. And you know, you, you see that you know there's like a sort of barrier in that area. It kind of it kind of seems like sword is there. To maybe save one? I don't know. It's it's yeah. it's weird because Sword is especially here now because uh, um um uh, some some promo art pretty much confirmed that Sword might not be the space branch of Shield as we know it in the comics, 
because they changed um in the comics it was sent into world observation um response division here it says in the MCU sentient weapon uh observation and the response division so i think they're they're sort of monitoring weapons living weapons like enhanced people and it makes sense if if, if Wanda's being one of one of those being monitored maybe they're trying to you know maybe Wanda created something and sword is there to contain it and save her from it it could be something like that but i don't think sword is super evil here because you know Jimmy Woo's there. Darcy's there. Darcy. I don't think they're gonna make fucking Darcy like a like an evil person. I think that sword is a byproduct of the Sokovia Accords because of the word sentient. Because they're monitoring superpowered beings now. Yeah, it could uh, be. Yeah, yeah. I I think the actions of Endgame just kind of <laughs> made it even more relevant. <laughs> yeah. So many theories. I mean, there's so many, there's so many bits, you know, bits to unpack, and it's just two episodes, and we can't wait for the next one next week, uh, Friday, twenty two, and uh, it will slowly unravel because Kevin Feige prom- promised that in one interview that, that it will slowly unravel. <laughs> These plot points will slowly be uh, shown in. To the audience and can't wait for it to, to be able to final thoughts guys final thoughts uh from one to ten what is your general consensus of one division episode one and two charles you start i think it's a nine like the, the ten is sort of i don't want to call it the perfect show because you know it's it's mm. not exactly it's not super perfect but it, it it hits all the things it needs to hit and you know it's 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 such a i can't help but be amazed that marvel actually pulled this off you're nine nine over ten yeah, nine over ten. Yeah. Okay. Uh, before I go to you, Joe, mine is I think it's a nine point five because of my excitement level because <laughs> MCU is back, <laughs> and uh, I love their unique take. I love that they took a risk, and um, in Feige we trust <laughs> because I love it. It's both. It, it's comedic. It's funny. It's hilarious. It, but it has mysteries. It has secrets. It's all in one. And we can't. I can't wait to find out how this will, you know, unravel in the next few weeks. Joe, from one to ten, what is your score for One Division one and two episode one and two? Okay, I'll, I'm I'm in the nine camp. I'll say eight point five to nine. I love yeah. the tribute. It's they replicated the shows amazingly. They know exactly when to use what. The mystery, I think the only drawback in my opinion right now is that probably a result of I want to see more of the mystery and that, you know, the show, the episodes are rather short. I do think the credits are, the show says 30 minutes, but let's be honest, the credits are like five minutes long for some reason. (laughs) So that's kind of where I go. Like, I wish they would have kind of not done that. But I, I think the direction is amazing. I respect the fact that they've done this, and I cannot wait to see them twist and turn more stuff in the future. And I think there's a lot of secrets here that we're not yet seeing that will just really unravel this whole concept in a much bigger way than we expect initially. Yeah, and just want to give a shout out to the performance of Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany. They nailed it. God, they nailed it as uh, sitcom actors and actors. <laughs> They're great. <laughs> Drunk vision will always be great. <laughs> vision. Seeing vision is always great. <laughs> Can't wait to find out more other 
sides of their personality in the next few episodes. So WandaVision, great start to the MCU, great start to the banner year of the Marvel Cinematic Universe here for 2021. WandaVision is only the beginning, guys, because we have a lot of content to break down in the next few months. But that's about wraps it up here for this MCU Exchange podcast episode. Happy anniversary, guys. It's been a year. Give it <laughs> Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. It's been crazy. Woo-hoo. We survived 2020. That's an achievement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cover news and stuff like that. It's crazy. Uh, how about you, listeners? Um, what What do you think of the the first two episodes of One Division? You can uh, head over to our Twitter account, transfer.com/slash/mcuexchange, and also comment on our YouTube post about uh, the MC Exchange podcast. That's youtube.com/slash/mcuexchange, and you can also follow me on Twitter. That's twitter.com/slash/aronchino. It's A-R-O-N-C-H-I-N-O. You can also follow Charles on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at CFS William Lever. You can also follow Joe on Twitter. You can find me at at that Abel, T-H-A-T-A-B-E-R-L. And on that note, stay safe, everyone. And thank you for listening to episode 43 of the MCHH Podcast. See you next week for another crazy breakdown of WandaVision and covering MCU news. Bye, guys. Bye. Till then.